You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. Before we get started today, I want to wish everyone a happy new year and happy holidays since we have been off for a couple of weeks. Our topic today has been brewing for a while now, natural hair. Whether it was the wrestler in New Jersey who was given 90 seconds to cut off his locks to California and New York, making it illegal to discriminate against people for their hair. Our styles have been in our faces in recent months. With us today to break this down is my good friend, filmmaker, author, and poet, Monice Mitchell-Sims. Welcome, Monice. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good out here in sunny California. I won't rub it in your face too much. Ah, uh, you're going to be in sunny California while it's about maybe 30 degrees outside here. That's not fair. <laughs> you know, that's not fair. I, hey, you know. But it's it's okay. It's okay. Okay. All right. So, so um, for those who don't know you, um, tell them about you and all of uh, the things that you're doing in your two new projects that are going on. Um, And especially SACT and your um, latest uh, book a month endeavor. Uh, Well, I'm born and raised in the D um, and graduated from Wayne State University Journalism Institute for Minorities with you and a whole bunch of other brilliant people. And I have been living and working out in L.A. for over 20 years. And I am a uh, screenwriter, filmmaker, um, author, uh, poet, you know, anything the written word, pretty much I've been doing for a very long time. And just recently, um, I completed the Producers Guild of America Diversity Master's Workshop uh, for my project, SAC, which you just mentioned, which is a romantic comedy about a black woman superfan who creates a bio crowdfunding campaign to buy out her home team's quarterback contract <laughs> because he sucks. And sounds like the Detroit Lions. Huh? I said it sounds like the Detroit Lions. Well, yeah. Well, you know, they're part of my they're part of my inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> and they end up falling in love online. Um, like, you know, it's a, a homage to You've Got Mail. And so I'm producing that now, finding the um, connections to get it made and everything like that. So I'm super excited about that. It'll be my first feature film um, that I will be producing. I produced two other films for Showtime, two short films for Showtime. And so I'm looking forward to moving into the feature film space. And just a couple of days ago, I launched my Book of the Month um, initiative. Uh, I've been writing for so long that um, I have a lot of content that I haven't published yet. So I just decided to finally pull the trigger as I continue on this um, screenwriting journey, which takes a very long time to get a movie made. But you know, for those who have read my books, I have, you know, the follow-up for those books. I have poetry. I have essays. So I just challenged myself to publish them this year, once a month. So we'll see. I started in January with my first book of poetry called Strong, and that's going strong. So let's see what happens after this. That sounds great. That sounds great. 
And so before we get into some of the some of the issues surrounding natural hair, hair um, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your journey with natural hair and what it meant for you. <laughs> to do this show. And then I realized, oh, I've been wearing my hair natural forever, so I actually did the math. Um, when you met me, I was wearing my hair, I think, with a with a press and curl. Okay. Basically I was I was doing the I was Tony Braxton before Tony Braxton. I started with everything. Pretty much any black woman has been on the journey I've been on. I had a Jerry Curl, let's be real about it, I had a Jerry Curl. And then I took my jerry curl out. My hair was long, luxurious for about a week. It fell out, and then I had to get it cut, and I got the Tony Braxton bob before anybody was doing it. Um, and then I wore my hair like that for a while, and um, then I moved. I got the perm out of my hair because it was just too damaging to my scalp. And so I just do the press and curl, and I did that for a while, but that's not very sustainable because if you play sports or if you just walk too briskly from the parking lot to your class, your hair sweats out and it becomes an issue. Right. So I just got tired of that. Right. So I just, you know, cut it all off. I cut it all off. Um, senior year. I was graduating from college senior year. I cut it off a week before my graduation pictures. And my mom was not happy. Um, but I had a little short little Afro sort of like uh, Florida Evans on good times. I had a little right. short Afro for right. a long time. And then after that, I wore my hair like that for seven years. I kept cutting it shorter where I was just like brushing and going. And I felt, I finally felt liberated. And I said, oh, this is what the brothers been doing all this time. I <laughs> just brush and go. This is amazing. That's, yes, yes. Well, those of us yeah, who have hair. I wore hair. it like that for seven years. And then I started to grow my locks out. So I've had my locks now um, since to uh, 1999, but I cut my hair in 1993. So what is that, 27 years yeah, of absolutely. natural hair? Yes. Yeah. And so what do your locks mean to you and what does it represent to you? I mean, the the, the transformation, because, because, you know, in a sense, if I'm hearing you correct, you were transitioning from um, a young woman to a woman um, and you mm. decided to want to be free. And so what, uh-huh. what do the locks sort of represent for you and, and natural hair in general? Well, you know, I think a lot of this, and I, was, I wanted to come up with a very deep statement, but I think a lot of it was actually inspired by finances. <laughs> okay, that's I fair. I mean, you know, going to, the, going to get your hair did every two weeks is very expensive, you know, and I think once I realized, okay, I'm graduating from college, and I'm will I be able to afford this okay. anymore? You okay. know, I, I gotta. I don't. I don't think I'll be able to afford this. So, and just getting my hair cut and just going to the barber shop and the bill dropping from eighty dollars to ten dollars. Right. I was like, this is amazing. This is really amazing. Um, and also the experience for me, the natural journey has been great because it gave me a peek into what you brothers deal with in the barbershop, you know, having to be the only female in a barbershop is such a wonderful experience because the things you guys talk about is like really eye opening. Okay. And as a writer, just sitting there like soaking up the information because after a while at first, when you're the first female in the, in the barbershop, y'all are being polite, you know, and just talking about, you know, general stuff. 
But then after a while, after you go a couple of times, they forget you're there. <laughs> and then I really get to hear what brothers really be talking to each other about. Okay. And it's, it was really eye-opening for me. Um, and for me, growing up, my life actually was an experiment to see if I could continue to grow my hair. Because I was getting my hair cut every two weeks. And right. it was growing so fast. I said, okay, well, what if I don't cut my hair? Let me see, will it grow? And, and just leaving it alone, letting it be its own natural process was so amazing to me and so far uh like i got my hair cut a couple i think a couple years ago and it was halfway down my back right and now my hair is already growing back so quickly so it taught me that if you just leave your hair alone it does what it's supposed to do right. and it's so much stronger and natural and than it used to be so okay. for me it, it is freedom but it's also i think um part of my personality at this point because yes. there are people in my life now who've never seen my hair any other way. So it's become sort of like a branding, like a Ava DuVernay, like sure. if she didn't have her locks. It's like, who is that woman? You know, right. that's kind of what it is for me. Okay. So I, I, I enjoy it. So how do you deal with it in, in, in a work setting? I mean, because you're out in Hollywood where there are clearly not enough, a lot of us who are in the business. And so yeah. how do, how do folks take you when they see you? with locks and you know, what is it that you go through um, on a daily basis, particularly in the professional realm? Well, you know, actually um, because I was pretty much on board with this early on before it became very popular, I did experience um, when I started growing out my hair into locks because anybody who's listening to this, if you, if you have locks, the beginning process of it is not the prettiest. It looks kind of interesting, kind of sort of between like, what are you doing? My mom was like, are you sure you want to do this? Cause I was looking kind of crazy about the head, but you have to let your hair grow out and find its way. Right. So at the time I was, um, I was doing a lot of temp work in the studio system. And I noticed that when my hair was short, you know, it was okay. But when I started moving into the lock territory, I was getting less and less assignments. So I asked, um, my tip agency, like, what's going on? And he said, well, have you ever considered cutting your hair or growing it out or, you know, wearing it more um, corporate, like a perm and stuff like that? And I was like, what? He said, yeah, I've gotten a couple people say that they prefer a more professional look for a worker. And I was just kind of taken aback by that. I was like, really? That's why I'm not getting called out for things? And he was like, yeah, that's a couple people have mentioned that to me. And so do you want to change your hair? And I just decided, like, no. I mean, this is temp work, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to change my hair for that. Um, and, and the assignments that I did get, the people were more interested in my work than what my hair looked like. Right. And that was the first time I ever experienced, like, discrimination about um, my hair. Um, I'm sure I've experienced discrimination from my race, of course. But something as specific as my hair didn't look like everybody else's was kind of like something that took me aback. But then as, as time went on and more and natural hair became more um, something that they would see, you know, on a regular basis, then it, it went away. OK. And uh, and I didn't have to deal with it anymore. And so when it came to men, um, how did that ha work out? I mean, because, well, I won't say how did it work out because you are married. So, yeah, you know, so I, so I'm not trying to say that it, right. that 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 it didn't work out well, but we're talking about in the early 90s when there weren't a lot of people that were wearing 
locks. And so I would assume that men would have a problem with it because you're talking about the time of, you know, with, you know, uh, long straight hair was in um, Mm -hmm. every man, Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, obsessed over a light skinned women and and all of these Mm -hmm. things that they saw in in the public space. um, And that was not meaning having straight hair or, or having your hair in locks or natural hair was not put in a space. So it wasn't like, you know, um, Diana Ross in the Wiz, right? That was not, that was not what was in the public sphere. And so how did you deal with dating men and what kind of response did you get from men during that time? You know, what's funny is um, I have two answers to that question. Basically in high school, when I did the Tony Braxton chop, um, I, I guess the the guys were they wanted the light skinned girl with the like with the long hair, and so you know I wasn't particularly like you know I wasn't particularly popular in high school, so it didn't really bother me. And then the guys that did come up to me, they were like, "Oh, I like your hair," and I'm like, "Oh, that's fine." And then funny thing happened though when I chopped up all my hair, I had so many men attracted to me because what they liked about it was that they could see me. Okay. A lot of men were saying that, you know, people had, and this is before, you know, I guess we had weaves back in the day, but, you know, I didn't, I don't wear, you know me, I don't wear makeup, right? So I'm walking around basically bald-headed, and they, what you saw is what you got. And so I had a lot of men come approach me who were actually attracted to that because there was no place for me to hide. They saw exactly who I was, and they were attracted to the natural beauty that, you know, was coming towards them. And and then the same thing with my locks. I was very fortunate that, you know, the men that were attracted to me were attracted to a natural woman. Okay. So I didn't have to deal with, and the, and the ones who weren't didn't come up to me. So it didn't, it didn't bother me as far as dating and something like that. And then once my hair started to grow, men really like long hair. I mean, you guys like long hair. So, but now my <laughs> long hair are actually locks. Right. So, so, and what's beautiful about this whole thing is that my husband met me when I was bald. Okay. And so I, he he has seen every every um, manifestation of my hair, and so he loves the entire process. He okay. loved me when I was bald. He loved me when my hair was looking crazy with the locks. He loved me now that I have long locks. So, you know, it, I've been very fortunate in that way. Okay. Great. Great. So, as I mentioned earlier, there have been several states that have made it illegal to discriminate people based on their hair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering what you think about this and is it really necessary? Um, because clearly we know that uh, discrimination uh, goes on um, because of people's hair. Um, mm-hmm. But I want you to kind of discuss that issue with me. surprised by that, actually, that is still going on. I mean, when I had that experience um, with, you know, corporate media companies saying they didn't want to hire me as a temp because my hair was natural, this was the early 90s, you know, and and early 2000s. So for that to still be an issue now, um, I I think it's unfair. I think it's short-sighted. And I think it really doesn't matter at the end of the day because, uh, nobody's hair is particularly natural these days. You, you don't know. Everybody's got something going on, extension, a weave or whatever. 
And if a sister walks in and she's rocking locks or afro or whatever, I don't see why that should make anybody feel some kind of way. If her work is, you know, if she's doing the work, if she's a good employee, if she's a good teammate, then what difference does it make what her hair looks like? So I, I think that's like, uh, I, I don't like the whole process of that. But I know that they, they're changing that in certain states. And I'm glad because I think it's, it's a stupid, it's a stupid law. Right, right. And so, you know, while I'm while I'm thinking about this, you know, it, it also um, depends upon the, the, the style and the trend that's kind of in at the time um, that it's being perceived um, depending upon how you wear your hair. So 20 years ago, yeah. you're talking about um, men that were wearing braids like Allen Iverson um, and the first phase of tattoos and, and you were closing yeah. out. The era of um, of earrings, men that are wearing, you know, diamond uh-huh. studs in their ears. And so uh-huh. in, in all of those cases, you know, those were not perceived as being professional in the workplace. Um, uh-huh. You know, the legendary story, as you've heard around here, was Kwame Kilpatrick when he first ran for mayor. He took out his diamond stud earring when he was on the campaign trail. But as soon uh-huh. as he became mayor, he put his earring back, back uh-huh. in his ear and uh-huh. it, it, it became a big deal. And so, uh-huh. you know, I'm just wondering if this is more about um, the, the trends that other people are late to and, and they're trying to discriminate people based on that or, um, you know, whether they're just really trying to inf- infuse um, their views of the world upon uh, people, you know, uh, African-Americans? I think it's the last thing, actually. I think they're they're trying to um, box in what we should look like, basically, what we should do. Uh, they're intimidated by the swag that we bring a lot of times, and until it becomes uh, something that the general population is interested in, then it's, a, it's threatening. And uh, I I don't think there's any way to control that because black people are always going to bring some type of swag. We're always going to do something different. We're trendsetters. And, and sometimes those trends are not received very well in the beginning again, until everybody else adopts it, you know? So I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer to if that will ever stop or, you know, but I think that's the reason why it happens is because you just come in, you're looking different. First of all, you're already looking different as a black person in a corporate setting, generally. <laughs> Usually one of you or the only one. So if you come in there and you're swagged out, you know, got a diamond stud or you're wearing braids and you got tats. I remember when tats happened, when Iverson was rocking the tats and the braids and, and everybody thought he was going to bring down the whole NBA, whatever, decorum. Right. And now you look at NBA. And everybody's got tats. Yep. Everybody's got braids. Everybody's got, you know, earrings. It's like he was the first person to do it. And because they thought that was like, that's too thuggish, that's too street or whatever, then they crucified him for it. But now look at what it looks like now. Right. It, it just took some time for everybody else to adopt it and say, oh, my God, that's that's dope. That's fresh. Yeah. So it's the same thing with natural hair. You know, whenever I look at... um white women who rock in um, cornrows or they're trying to figure out how to dread their hair. And it's just like, 
what what are you doing? Right. But because now it's become popular. Now it's like the thing. And and I know, you know, I had more than one white woman try to touch my hair because they're really fascinated with the fact that our hair can be so flexible, that we can do so many things. Like a sister could rock, you know, braids one day and then show up the next day, have a weave down the back. Right. Or, you know, we're able to go back and forth like that, whereas they're they're not as able to authentically, at least. Like, it, it could be the same hair. It could just be a woman who has a natural one day, and then she goes and gets pressed the next. Same hair. Um, so I think they're just curious about it, and um, and they want to, like I said, try and negotiate the process of our hair, and uh, they can't, you know, especially as more and more people become... Um, independent thinkers and prideful about what is naturally theirs. Um, and I don't know, did you see the Blackish episode? It just aired. Um, yes, I did. I saw it on Wednesday or Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a beautiful, um, a beautiful example of what, you know, of black women in their hair. It was a great show and it showed, um, you know, Diane trying to figure out what to do because that is a real situation. I mean, before I decided to cut my hair, I thought long and hard about it and I talked to my sister about it, but I didn't tell my mom. Okay. I knew if I told my mom that she would freak out and she would tell me not to do it. So I just did it without telling her at all. She came home. She left because I was living at home. And that morning I left with my hair looking like Tony Braxton. (laughs) (laughs) And then she came home from work and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm looking like Esther Rowe. Completely different person. Right. (laughs) But I knew if I told her, she wasn't bow and rain. She was a rainbow and Diane. We didn't have a conversation about it. I just just did it without telling her because I knew that she would have felt some kind of way about me cutting my hair, at least that short as I did. Sure. So it's a, it's a real. Um, I think it is like you you touched on something about it being a uh, process from from childhood to womanhood, and I really think it is that for us as women where we finally can make our own decisions about what to do with our hair and how to present ourselves and not have to be told by our mom, like, okay, we're going to go in the kitchen and press your hair out for Easter Sunday, that type of stuff. You know, now you're taking control of your own sure. presentation to the world. And um, it's, a, it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, speaking for myself, it was, it was the same thing with me um, when I decided to mm-hmm. cut my hair off. Um, and primarily mm-hmm. because I was losing my hair. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you're talking about um, in, with our parents, they were of the generation of you've got to keep your hair. And particularly for men, they were wearing toupees in order to preserve the hair that they had. Mm. And, right. and for me, um, Michael Jordan was for our generation. Michael mm-hmm. Jordan was the, the the symbol of that. Right. He started losing his mm-hmm. hair. So he cut his hair off. And so as mm-hmm. a result, there's a whole generation of, of men you know, of of our generation that um, decided instead of trying to uh, hold on to what little piece of hair that we have, that I'll just mm-hmm. cut it all off. And so we mm-hmm. were between me and my mom, we were in it was never a contentious kind of thing. Um, but my mom was was a little bit, you know, indifferent, a little bit upset that um, I didn't keep my hair um, because she said I looked better with hair. And yeah. and f- and for me, it was really, you know, hey, I'm losing my hair. Why should I fight the inevitable? 
And, right. you know, at that time I was 26, 27 years old and, mm-hmm. you know, I, it it just looked more appealing to me. And and so I think it was sort of a battle between uh, generations because she couldn't understand it primarily because that's not what the men of her generation did, you know. Mm, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, that's that's similar to what I experienced in my family because the, of course I was the only one with short hair in my family. I remember I remember my, my mother got over it you know, eventually, because she, she knows what stuff I'm going to do and I want to do. But I remember the first time my granny, my great-grandmother saw my hair. Okay. <laughs> she just stared at me. And, you know, the elephant in the room is that if you cut your hair and you you're cut your hair short and you're a woman, is that you're a lesbian. That's yes. the elephant in the room. Right. right. So she just asked me a question, like, is there something you want to tell me? And I was like, no, I just I just cut my hair, Granny. That's all it is. It doesn't mean anything. I just cut my hair. Um, so she she instantly went to that I was, you know, symbolizing something about my sexuality, and that wasn't it. And and that actually happened a lot at that time when people saw my hair short. They just made assumptions about my sexuality, right. and I'm like, and, and and then I realized why. I said, oh, because. They've only seen lesbians with their hair, their hair short. That is not, you know, I, that's not my sexuality. It was just a choice that I made because I thought it would be cheaper, one. And I thought I looked good with my hair short. Right. Um, and so I had to walk in that space of continuing to define myself to people so they wouldn't just make assumptions about me. And it didn't matter to me one way or the other what you thought, but I didn't want you to just make assumptions, right? Like, no, that's not what this is. This was just a, a hair choice, you know? And some people give real wonderful, brilliant explanations about, real brilliant explanations about, like, you know, this is this is a return to my African roots and all that type of stuff. And that, that really was not <laughs> what it was for right. me. It really was just a hair choice for me. And I grew to accept that, okay, this, you know, walking into a space with no hair um, or walking into a space where your, your hair isn't like everyone else's does make a statement to people. Um, and you have to be confident to walk like that and be in that space. And like you, be confident to walk into a space with no hair and be like, okay, this is me. Deal right. with it and just keep it moving. So, um, yeah, hair is really a, a interesting topic for us. Uh, you know, because it represents, I think, like I said, our swag. It represents our freedom and identity. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I was going to ask, you know, you touched upon it, you know, in just a few minutes ago. Um, you talked about the confidence that it takes to do that. What What kind of confidence did it take for you not only to make the transformation, but to endure day after day um, the looks that you got from people and um, the questions about your sexuality and all of that kind of stuff? Well, uh, I don't know if it was enduring. <laughs> okay. I just thought it, I thought it was um, just something else that was interesting. I mean, first of all, in Detroit, it was probably more enduring than anything because, you know, I was already alien in Detroit as far as, you know, being a white and being artistic and everything. So, and then I cut my hair off and now I was like, okay, now what else is going on? Can you talk to us about it? 
and and no one outwardly said anything to me about you know anything like that. But I just took it as like, oh, they just took it as, oh, this is Monique being being creative, okay. right? I mean, because even before I cut my hair, I used to dye my hair. I wore my hair was burgundy and purple. I did all types of crazy things. Um, and then when I moved to Chicago. I found more of my tribe of people that were already wearing their hair differently and, and, and short and things like that. And, and I, and then I was a poet as well. So I was in a space where it was more, more accepted that you looked a little different than everybody else because you're already doing things that are different. Um, and then I, I, when I moved to LA, I thought, okay, I'm really going to be free here, but LA, in a weird way, was kind of going backwards mm. um, because dreads hadn't come out here yet. Lots hadn't made it out this way. And so there was some questions about, especially in the workplace, when I was going out temping and everything, there were questions about, like, why won't she wear her hair more professionally? And it was always nice and neat. I mean, it was never crazy looking, but it just didn't look like everybody else. So I had to make a decision, I guess, in that instance, it's like, well, do I want to cut my hair just so I continue to get temp work? I mean, did I move out to L.A. To, to be a receptionist and work at Disney and stuff? No, I came out to L.A. to follow my dream and be uniquely me. So I'm going to keep my hair to where it is. Um, and I just, you know, if I, any opportunity I lost out of because of that, I just kept it moving and it didn't really bother me too much. Okay. Um, backing up a little bit in terms of some of the legislation that's that's been going on about um, our hair. Um, mm-hmm. it, it seems as if school is one of the places where young black children come under attack. And it's the place where um, in some instances they set their own rules in terms of their dress code. And as a result, um, their locks or having long mm-hmm. hair um, is being penalized um as a result of that. So I just wanted to, I wanted you to kind of talk about that situation and um, how schools can kind of go overboard in terms of what they believe is, is neatness in terms of their school uniforms. Yeah. I remember I saw that video of that um, young wrestler who got his locks cut off just so he could, you know, he can wrestle. Yes. Um, and I thought that was the most, horrible thing to do to that, to that young man. Like there was nobody in that space that would stop that from happening. What does his locks have to do with anything as far as his performance? It was a way to humiliate him. And already, I think, I don't remember how many other black kids were in that competition, but it was just another way to separate him from everybody else. And I just thought that was, I, I would love to hear what these administrators are thinking when they come up with these rules of appearance and, and why they always seem to be just targeted towards the black and brown kids. Um, I, I don't, I don't understand what, why do they want everyone to look the same anyway? First of all, um, they, they don't look the same. And then you're already targeting a population that already feels like they're not a part of the group as it is. And it makes them feel even less worthy to be in a space, especially of education, where you need to be able to be free of, you know, for me, school was always a safe place. It was always a place for me to go and to learn and to know that I'm safe enough to be able to, you know, speak my thoughts and be with my friends and teachers. 
But if you're making a space like this for these kids where they feel like they're being ostracized just because they want to wear their hair differently and you're making them conform to something, I think that's putting the wrong headspace in an in in, in education setting. Yeah. And I would really love to know why they come up with these rules. I don't, I don't understand what the purpose is. Right. And, and that was kind of what I was going to get to. Sort of. So what does it do to a child's psyche um, to have to endure this sort of thing, and how do you how do you a- attack? I don't want to use the word attack, but how do you deal with those situations so that they can be resolved in a in a peaceful way? Is it a matter of taking your child out of the school and putting them back into another environment? Is it you know, or or is it you know, you file a lawsuit? What 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 are the remedies toward something like that, and how do you? Um, because as a parent, you want to protect your children in, in all ways. And so. Yeah, I don't. I mean, if it were me, if that was my child, I would take my child out of that school immediately. Um, but it's a catch 22, right? And these same schools also have problems with white kids looking, I mean, painting themselves in blackface. <laughs> Some of these same schools have that issue as well. And I don't think you can you can change racism or promote diversity if you have a policy like that. If you, I feel like if, if the more kids, especially, are exposed to diversity and different, right, and individuality, and and in terms of everything, in terms of hairstyle, sexuality, and in class, the more they're exposed to that, the more they understand that that's not a bad thing. That different isn't bad. But when you take it and you chop someone's hair off, uh, that makes them feel like, I'm talking about the others, it makes the, the people who don't have their hairstyle feel like that's justifiable, right? And then they grow up and they become people who are hiring folks. <laughs> and they're the ones that say, hey, we don't want to hire Monique because she has locks. And they'll remember back to the day where the young man got his hair chopped off in a the, in the wrestling competition. Um, it's all a vicious cycle and it starts early and I, I just don't I'm stuttering because I don't know how that can be solved sure um, I know as a parent though that if it were me my child would just be out of that school okay um, but I don't know if that's the answer that pulling all the different the black and brown kids <clears throat> out of the schools is going to make a difference and, and I don't I don't know what the complete answer to that is but um I just think it's unfair, and and again, it's it's like, what what do you want this child to do to look? Even if you are a black or brown student and you don't and you do everything right in their mind, you you wear the right uniform and you're not your hair looks you know nice and neat according to them, you're still going to be different than everyone else. So it's it's putting undue pressure on kids who are different races. I think. And this is easy to to conform. Okay, it, it's it's just like it's it's not possible. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And you get that one brave kid who decides, okay, I'm going to rock and roll, and then you attack them. I I don't think it's right. Right, right. So in all of what we were talk, what we've been talking about, um, the question that I come to is sort of when will all of this um, come to an end? When will this come to 
a place where um, the hairstyles that we wear are acceptable no matter what the hairstyle is. And what will it take to sort of get to that place? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's a question we can answer. The people who have the different hairstyles, I don't know if that's a question we can answer. I think it has to be a, a question that they can answer. Anyone who has, who is offended by someone who has a different hairstyle, I would want to know what, what about it offends you. Like, why is this such a big deal for you? And the way somebody else's look, somebody else looks. What what is what about that is really ruining your day and your life and all this all these things? No, nope, that's the question I have for those people. Sure. Um, I don't I don't know. I would be I would love to know the answer because for me personally, if I see someone that has a mohawk or something, I love mohawk, or someone who has a different hairstyle than mine, I am like instantly interested. <laughs> And like, well, what made you do that? You know, that's a conversation piece. That's something for me to learn. Like, well, how do you keep it up? Like, how, why? And all that type of stuff. I don't, it doesn't ruin my day. It doesn't make me want to call the police over or give them a citation because you have to only mohawk in, in the club. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. No, I, I certainly agree with what you're saying. It, it, it certainly mm-hmm. is not going to be a place where we, um, are the decision makers um, on this. And that is a part of the reason why uh, we do need to have more people who are in um, spaces where they can make decisions on their company and, and as well as in their schools, you know, um, and yeah, so I mean, it would help if you had more diverse people in those positions so they can relate or cheerlead or be the person in the room that could talk to other people off the cliff. If they're willing to pull the trigger on some you know, uh, some some legislation. It's like, well, 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 wait a minute, let's talk about it. I mean, I think it's, go back to journalism issues for minorities, right? That was the purpose of that that um, program to put us in the room of the newsroom so that we can we can talk and and say something and speak up and hopefully make a difference in the newsroom. And I think if if there were more diverse people in across the board on these different, in these different areas, then maybe they would be able to speak up before they decide, like, uh, and, and try to explain or understand, like, what's going on. I mean, it's happened with, I mean, Oscar is so white, it's still an issue, but I saw more people in my industry getting nominated because there were more of us in the actual room. <laughs> there were more women, there were more Latinos, more Asians, more blacks in the actual room making the decisions and making um, the recommendations. So I think the same is true for this. If there are more diverse people on these school boards and these administrative positions um, in these boardrooms for these corporations, then these laws wouldn't get passed. But because we're not there, they're going to continue to make those decisions and continue to police our appearance. Um, And I think that's the only way they could be solved is if we're just, there are more people that are diverse um, in those positions. Okay. And as we get ready to wrap up, like why now? Why is it that that this is um, coming up now in terms of states 
making legislation to say that you can't discriminate against someone who has locks or who is wearing their hair long or who is wearing their hair short. Why is it now and is it a byproduct of um, what we are going through in the country um, where there's just this divide um, uh-huh. that is going on, whether it's a racial divide, whether it is, it is a political divide, whatever you want to see it as um, it's going on. And so what do you think makes this sort of come out right now? I think it's what you said. I think it's what's going on in the country right now. We're in such a state of flux um, and chaos. Our society is going through so much in regards to uh, racism, uh, which is always, you know, right there under the surface, but now it's just front and center and it's everywhere. And appearance is, uh, anyone who appears differently is going to be singled out anyway. Um, and that's only been heightened with all that's going on now. So I think that's why this is happening. And, and I also think it's because, um, unlike when I began my natural health journey, there are more people who are just living natural now and, and, and they're out and they don't care what people think about them. And they're not worried about any responses they're getting. And they're, I mean, they're, they have support. There are groups online. There are products. I mean, the industry for the natural hair um, industry is just a billion-dollar industry because there are so many people that are doing it now. So I think it's becoming more prevalent um, and, and being seen more. Um, and so it's just that it's at the forefront of our psyche. And, I, and will that continue to happen? Uh, probably. Um, and we'll probably continue to see this going on for a while. Okay. Well, Moni, Monice, give us your final thoughts on everything that we <laughs> talked about today and um, anything else that you want to share that I may have missed asking. No, I mean, I thank you so much for having me on to talk about this, um, because until you asked me the question, I didn't realize how long I myself had been on this natural hair journey. I think it is um, a wonderful topic to discuss, and I appreciate um, you asking me to talk about it, and uh, I want to applaud you on what you're doing with your with your show. It's amazing. Thank and you. I'm not just saying that because I've known you forever. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's all that I got to say. Okay. Well, thank you, Moniz. I appreciate you coming on and discussing uh, this important matter. And um, like I said, this, this has been, for me, uh, an issue that I wanted to talk about for the last two or three months um, because, you know, I wanted to sort of delve into some of the issues that, um, we talked about today and how we and mm-hmm. how we can kind of deal with um, the discrimination and, and, and what else is everything else that is going on um, in a corporate sector and in our schools as well. And so um, I appreciate you coming on the show and being able to um, talk about these things because I can only talk about it from a man's perspective. And well, I'm glad you shared perspective because I had never thought about. The, even the idea of because brothers are so fine when their head when their heads are bald, so it never occurred to me that that would be <laughs> an issue for you or anyone who decided to do that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you, Monice. And with that, we'll wrap up another edition of Beyond the Headlines. And I wish you a great week. Me too. As we leave Beyond the Headlines, we'd like to always leave you with an inspirational quote to ponder for the next show. This one comes from Susan L. Taylor. In every crisis, there is a message. Crises are nature's way of forcing change, breaking down old structures, shaking loose negative habits so that something new and better can take their place. Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines. Thank <laughs> you.